Bobby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all swoped up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. The dangers. The dreams. We have built a Grand Prix racing motorcycle, and we're ready to go now. Get a clock on that kid. He's holding his own with Croder. This cross Croder. He's the best. I think you could be on top, Cody. Track in Austria, 2.6 miles. You gotta let us run in this race. A lap record. I'm gonna beat Kroger. Stay challenge me. Cody and his tuner, they have a little bike of their own. It can't stand up to ours. I mean, maybe they're trying to stop you from winning. From the back roads of the USA. To the racing capitals of Europe. This is not the dirt bike circuit. Okay, this is Grand Prix. They're on the fast track. We're talking about the number one team in the world. The big time. And I'm the rider. I'm the one that gets killed out there. to think about anything but the glory the film that opened theatrically to rave reviews solid in direction acting and script sizzling race footage set variety race for glory hello out there peabody and sherman here set the way back machine we enter the way back and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space Hey, this is Dennis Gage from the TV show My Classic Car, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tan Talk 1314. 13- 1340.com and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. If you missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our archive page. You can find out where all our shows are. Actually, you know what? I'm getting off. I started that wrong. All right. Go to our website. Let me try this one more time. You know what? It's one of those days. The computer's not working in here, and I'm going nuts because i got a pretty interesting show tonight. And, uh, and I'm not a computer-savvy kind of guy, so for some reason I can't get the Internet to work in here. And I've been screwing around with it for a few minutes. But other than that, let's see. Where was I again? Let's start this one up there. Okay. Uh, Running computers at Google, TanTalk1340.com. And you can see us live here in the studio, downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. Yes, where you can find out all about us. And if you miss any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our website and our archive page where you can listen to all 400-plus-odd shows. That's quite a few shows. Over the last eight and a half years. we got a great show for you tonight. we got a pretty interesting guy. There's a ton of events going on here. I mean, this is the time of the year, okay? So, uh, actually, what I should do is I probably should go ahead and do the Florida Car Show Minute. Let's do that now. 
And uh, check out flacarshows.com. You want to find out where all the car shows are in the state of Florida. So, you know, the north, the south, the east, the west, in the middle, all over the place. In fact, there's a lot of stuff going on in Orlando. But right here in our own backyard this coming Saturday, the third Saturday of the month, is the DuPont Cars and Coffee. And that is closely followed by the Dimmit Cars and Coffee, which is down there off Gandhi Boulevard. So if you want to see some really cool McLarens, some Aston Martins, and occasionally a Porsche, and of course, you know, the usual Cadillac, uh, definitely check out the uh, Dimmit Cars and Coffee as well. Um, meanwhile, over at uh, DuPont, which, like I said, you need, if you want to get a parking spot and show your car, you need to be there about probably, you know, they say 7 to 9, but you really need to be there at 5.36 to get a good spot. So it's quite a few people. What's going on? Well, we've got the Atlanta Concourse coming on in two weeks, and we had a couple of people on last week from uh, a number of concourse events, concourse d'elegance, some of the most spectacular events. I mean, the car shows are cool, don't get me wrong, but you see a lot of the usual muscle cars and see a lot of the common cars and some sports cars and stuff like that. But if you want to see some really historic cars, very unique cars, one-off cars, very, very rare cars, you need to attend some of these concourse. Of course, right here in our backyard, our favorite show that we always attend every year in March, and that is the Amelia Island Concourse. And then, of course, in March, those of us that are really slaves of the car world, we trek out to California IA, to the Monterey Coast, and spend a week out there oogling and ogling at all the really amazing vehicles that are out there uh, during the Monterey Collector Car Week and ultimately the Pebble Beach Concourse. So the Cobble Beach Concourse, which was in Canada, was last weekend. And uh, up in Ontario on some very, very beautiful real estate. The Atlantic Concourse is at the uh, Chateau Elan, which is just outside of Road Atlanta, which is outside of, let's see, uh, it's about an hour east of, uh, east? Yeah, I guess it is, east of Atlanta. And it's in Gainesville, Georgia. And let's see, Rensport, which will be next weekend in Monterey, which is the 70th, 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 70th reunion of Porsche. So from what I understand, they're going to have 70 of the most amazing Porsches there on display and 70 of some of the most significant Porsche factory team race car drivers, including one gentleman I've always wanted to have on my show, and I think he's in his 90s, and that would be Hans Herrmann. Hans Herr, Herr. Herman, yeah, I think I said that right. And uh, in fact, I met him the first time in 1981 when we were. I used to go to Germany with the Porsche Club in 80 and 81. And there's a friend of ours in uh, Olsmar that puts on these Porsche tours trips, and they're like a week long, maybe two weeks long, and they're factory tours. So if you're on a European delivery program for your Porsche. You can go over there. You can have the tour. You can see Europe. You can see Germany. You get to go to the Weissach fact, uh, test research facility, which is Porsche's research facility, and you can also go to the Porsche factory. And uh, and at the Weissach, and then, of course, take delivery of your car and then drive it around over there for a week or two or three or however long you stay over there and then have it shipped back to the United States. And that's kind of fun because, you know, you take possession of your Porsche, whether it's a 911. In the old days, it was a 928 or a 944, and today it's a Panamera or a Cayenne or a Macan or a Boxster or something really cool like that, but pretty much a 911. And uh, you get to drive on the Autobahn, and there are areas in the Autobahn where the speed limit is still unlimited. There are no such things as speed limits. Hopefully, the green freaks will stay away from that for a while. Um, but traffic's getting kind of heavy over there now because of the EU, which that's another issue for another day. But at any rate, you can still go pretty fast over there. Um, used to be able to do that on the Strada in Italy. There was no speed limits on that, but somehow they got that regulated. And in fact, when you leave from Venice, go all the way down to Rome, that is on the Strada. Wow, you talk about an amazing trip. I remember we were kids in the back of my dad's Opel. And uh, we were getting passed by Ferraris and Mangustas and Lamborghinis and fast Alfa Romeos and Lanchios and all kinds of just amazing Italian exotics. I mean, it was pretty cool. And uh, definitely was not uncommon to see Ferraris blasting up and down the, the uh, highway there at uh, you know high rates of speed. So no different than Germany when you see the Porsches and the BMWs and the Audis and all those guys you know running 200 plus, uh, well, not miles an hour, but way over 200 kilometers 230 240 which is like you know 170 180 close to 200 at any rate uh so with the porsche tour with the porsche treffen is what they called it and it's fast lane travel if you want to take a really cool trip to europe and see the porsche factory as long as as well as vineyards and castles and really quaint little 
German and Austrian and Swiss, Swiss towns, or we went to Holland one year, uh, Scandinavia another year, uh, France, I think they go to, you know, just they're all over the place. But you get to see the factory and the Weissach Center. And at the Weissach Center, besides going through all the testing and the research facility, we got the chance to drive on the, on the Weissach test track. And I was fortunate enough, we drew straws. And uh, you could, it got down to either driving to Rothman, uh, all-wheel drive, um, uh, Baja car. When I say that, it was the uh, African Safari car that run uh, the North African Safari Desert Run. Or you can run on a 935. Well, since I was a big GT guy and, you know, 935s were the dominant race car in the 70s and 80s, I elected to go on a 935. And the test driver happened to be Hans Hellman. So I remember getting in the car. And I looked over at him, had my helmet on, and I looked at him and I said, Lo Schema, which is, let's go, in German. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, what an amazing driver. But and we went 180 on the back straightaway before we had to do the hairpin, and uh, it was pretty cool. And then right after the hairpin, there was a set of S's. So what was interesting is everybody that got out of the car, um, they had somebody stand there to catch you because when you went around, when you're doing 170, 180, and, I, and he said he went faster with me because – I wanted to go faster. A lot of the people didn't want to go that fast. And um, and he was on the binders going through the turns. So he was like uh, giving it all out. He was drifting, which was pretty cool. But when you, you you do the hairpin and then the S's, your equilibrium is totally off. So and everybody that got out of the car kind of like stumbled. You know, they, like, they lost their balance. They were like, whoa. And uh, so there was always somebody there to catch them. I didn't have that problem because I leaned into it. I was ready for it. And, uh, and of course, back then I used to, you know, uh, autocross and club race Porsches. And so I'm used to fast cars or was. And uh, so that was a lot of fun. So Hans Hermann is going to be at the Rensport reunion this year. And maybe a little luck. We might be able to get uh, through some of my connections. We might be able to get him on the radio show because he's got some fascinating stories. Because he raced in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s at the heyday of, uh, you know, racing when, when men were men. And race cars didn't have brakes or seatbelts, you know. They kind of went fast, but uh, and they ran on skinny little tires, you know. But, hey, German engineering, you know, it was pretty dominant at the time. Time was pretty good. And then, of course, Jaguar came out, and they were mighty successful cars during the 60s, uh, during the 50s. In fact, they were the one of the first race cars that had disc brakes. So, But anyway, that's Rensport. Uh, Barber Motorsports, they have an event this weekend, but in a couple of weeks they have the Vintage motorsport event which is motorcycles and if you've never been to barber motorsports you definitely need to go to barber motorsports because they have one of the most amazing motorcycle museums in the world the track is perfect it's specifically designed for motorcycles so it's not a really really wide track but it's amazing and i was up there last year and i was just highly impressed they've got an amazing collection probably one of the largest collections of lotus cars they've got a restoration facility they've got a library facility down there a research center it's just amazing next weekend is the clearwater superboat race the hooters clearwater superboat race this year all right sema is the first week in uh, November, last week in October. And with our good friend Vic Pagano, Piano, I think I said that right, Cigar City Concourse, 11-11. So uh, stay tuned. Don't forget to uh, stay up on all our social media because we do post a lot of that stuff on there. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to fire, fire up the turntable, play a little Southern Rock. This has always been one of my favorite songs by the Allman Brothers, Midnight Rider. So, hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be. We will. Yes, I promise you. We will be right back.
listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, if you've ever been to a uh, MotoGP race, um, that's pretty much what it sounds like. That's that was just one bike. Can you imagine uh, a field of thirty or forty of those little things buzzing around in your ears? Uh, pretty amazing. But when you go to the Barber Motorsports or the Barber Vintage Motorsports um, event that uh, is in two weeks, the thing that's really cool about that is they have it's all vintage bikes primarily okay and they're actually out there racing and they race for points but they've got a huge 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 swap meet which is what i was in in, in enthralled with okay because you know me being a parts junkie and uh and I've, I've got a couple of vintage dirt bikes okay so that's that's me i'm not really a street bike kind of guy or a gt or gtp kind of when i say gt gp um racer or anything like that or even cruisers i mean i've had harleys i've had uh, big hondas i've had uh Mostly dirt bikes, but I mean, I've ridden on the street, but I was just telling Vaughn a little earlier this afternoon that when I was a kid, when you were 15 years of age, you could ride uh, up to five brake horsepower and uh, and you could get what they call a restricted license at 15 and a half. So I really wasn't a big fan of Japanese bikes back in the day. I have a lot more respect for them now because they're pretty sophisticated bikes if you look at it, okay? And, uh, and they've done very well. But I was mostly in the European and foreign bikes. So I liked, uh, you know, I liked BSAs. I liked uh, Triumphs. I liked uh, Lavardas. I liked Motoguzzi's. I liked, uh, you know, Benelli's. I liked uh, Ducati's, you know, especially Ducati's, which are real strong these days, you know. So I liked those kind of bikes. And, of course, on the American side, I liked them, um, Harley-Davidson. But Harley-Davidson had a little thing where they were – they wanted a, a lower-end entry-level bike to compete with the 50s and the 100cc Hondas. So they bought a company or bought into a company called Aramachi, and they made these little two-stroke air-cooled bikes. Well, they had a uh, – I think it was called a Baja 100, which was a little Harley-Davidson. And that was kind of cool, but, you know, I was always into, you know, mini bikes were the, like the cool thing back in the 60s and 70s. So Honda had a Trail 70, which a friend of mine, Steve Lyons, he had a Trail 70, and I bought a Harley Shortster which was uh, 65 cc's, and I think the year later they came out with 90 cc's. Holland did the same thing. They had a 70, and then they came out with a 90. Well, these things were capable of maybe 55 miles an hour. And, but they were a mini bike, you know, basically, or short. So uh, I lived on Clearwater Beach, and, and Steve lived on Island States, and we'd meet up in the morning, and we'd try to race across the causeway. Yeah, it depends. If I got the jump on him and the wind was in my favor, I could beat him. But other than that, the Honda was a little bit torquier. It was a four-stroke. And... Um, Mine was three-speed manual. His was three-speed manual also. I think that's the way they were. And you can get a Honda. You can actually get with a Honda-Matic. And uh, we're just, you know, no cl- a clutchless type deal. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, so what happened uh, one time, I was coming around the corner there off Golf the Bay in Cleveland, and somebody cut me off, and I ended up having to l- – ooh, it sounds kind of cool like I'm a professional. I had to lay the bike down, okay? Yeah, I laid down a mini bike, you know, doing about 35 miles an hour on Golf the Bay. Wow. Okay, and then – about a month or two later, I was buzzing down downtown Cleveland Street and right down the street here on uh, Fort Harrison and uh, – or it might have been Garden and Cleveland Street. A taxi cab cut me off, and, hey, I had to lay the bike down again, you know. 
And uh, so I said, well, that's enough of that. I'm not doing that on the street anymore. And plus, I was getting to the point now where I was only a few months away from getting a driver's license. So I said, screw it. Rather than get killed on a bike, I'm going to wait and get killed in the car. That hasn't happened either yet, so I'm still here to do my weekly radio show. Anyway, uh, I think we're gonna. That's my that's my bike story for today. But yeah, definitely Barber Motorsports is really really cool. So uh, if you you know I, I talk about a number of things put on your bucket list. Obviously Scottsdale, Amelia Island, Monterey Collector Car Week, and SEMA. But if you're into bikes, you definitely got to go to Barber Motorsports, and uh, they got the most amazing museum. And hey, stick around for a few minutes because I think we're gonna have a guest come on. And uh, before we do that, I think what we're going to do is we're going to play another tune from the 70s, another Southern Rock song. No, no, this isn't Southern Rock. This is uh, George Thorogood, right? How about a little Bad to the Bone? Hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. in the cafe, guy comes up and says, hey, I bet you can't make it to Millie's Cafe and back before Shake, Rattle, and Row plays. You flip 10 bucks on the table, and if you're back before that song plays, you pick up your 10 bucks, and that's cafe racing. like the Ace Cafe that you mentioned was one of the places around London where you would race from one cafe to another. The bikes then became cafe races. Taking a standard motorcycle kind of out of the factory and uh, customizing it uh, to make it faster. So stripping off as much metal as you can, making it streamlined, maybe adding a bit more power, a bit more control, better suspension. The frame's sitting higher off the ground, the pipes are higher off the ground, so you can lean that sucker over. Solo seat, nice tank that you can lay over, get close to the bars. The grips are usually gonna be lower than the tank. You just want that bike to be part of you. That's a cafe bike. You see a winding road come up, the first thing you're gonna see everybody do is kinda start dropping forward. The next thing you know, them bikes are going to be at a 45-degree angle, just cutting canyons. Just get on the back of my bike, and I your car. Ton up's a bike that does 100 miles an hour. And if your cafe bike won't do a ton up, you might as well stay home. See, custom cars and hot rods, and yeah, they're cool. But riding a bike, 
Well, if you ride a bike, you know what it is. It's, it's riding a bike. You have to do it to know what it is. It's a, it's a thing of beauty. the feeling of the motorcycle, it, it, is, it is overwhelming at first, but once you settle into it and once you're, you're in motion, there, there's this, this calm that comes over you, and it, it does become this sort of simple, um, mind-numbing experience. You cut out everything, all the chaos that's going on in your life. Obviously, no cell phones, no televisions, just you and the bike. Too many people think about why they're riding rather than just getting into it. And I think if you're thinking too much, you'll end up crashing. It is therapeutic, and there's a there's an old saying that you never see a motorbike out the front of a psychiatrist's office, and the reason is is because your therapy is always on a motorbike. from Wind Tunnel on Speed. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. Yes, and you are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman uh, is the senior manager of restoration and conservation for the Barber Motorsports Museum. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening my friend Lee Clark. Lee, how you doing? I'm pretty good, and you? I'm down here in Florida. We're dodging raindrops, but, uh, you know, uh, we like motorcycles, so how about you? It's hot and humid here right now, but not not raining. So. Not raining. <laughs> so, tell us about Barber Motorsports. Oh uh, well, uh, I've been there 25 years. Um, we moved out to the present location 15 years ago today. Uh, oh wow! The museum the museum opened up, so yeah, big day for us. Uh, but the museum has been around. It was downtown before that in, a, in an industrial location, but obviously we, we ratcheted it up a bunch 15 years ago and. And you've been there. It's a really, really cool place. Over 800 acres in the park. The museum is part of that. The road course is a substantial part of it. And there's about 400, 500 acres we haven't even touched yet. So we're going to leave this nice green space. So it's 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 really a a destination for a lot of reasons. Tell us what's going on there this weekend. Uh, This weekend is is the Moto America race, uh, which was, you know, the, the, I guess the, used to be AMA road racing, but mm-hmm. uh, it's old, and Moto America's doing this. Pretty good racing. Uh, I think this is their third or fourth year under the Moto America flag. Um, but, yeah, it should be a, a good event. Uh, you know, it's, it's modern bike racing, you know, and like our vintage festival coming up, which is vintage bike racing, too. Now, the uh, that is a sanctioned racetrack that you guys have there on, on location, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The track, we have an Indy car race in the spring. We have uh, a... a all kinds of private events, you know, during the rest of the year. We have our Motor America race, you know, this weekend, and then our Barber Vintage Motorsports Vintage Festival uh, the, the first weekend of October. And then we have SCCA uh, regional races. We have all kinds of, uh, you know, just track it, sport bike track time. I mean, there's we're rented about 330 days a year. 330 days a year you're rented? Really? You have events? That's incredible. Well, the Porsche Sport Driving School is based there. Okay. Uh, and they're, they're 125 to 150, depending upon what kind of programs they got going on. So uh, we have that, and then we also have the Mercedes uh, has what they call their brand immersion there, which is for all their employees through North America. They do special schools for them. Uh, there's, there's something going on, whether it's open or, or, or private, there's something going on in the park, you know, pretty much. Every weekend, you know, we slow down around Christmas and New Year's, obviously, but uh, we pick back up pretty big time um, mid-February. Okay. Now, the Barber Motorsports, the Barber Vintage Motorsports Festival, the one that's coming up, the motorcycle one, is that one of your biggest events, or uh, are there other events that... uh... No, no. The the two big events currently Mm -hmm. are the IndyCar race in, you know, in the spring, which I think is close to 60-some-odd thousand, 68,000. And then our vintage motorcycle event, the Barber Vintage Festival, is just a tiny bit below that, like 5,000 below that. So, I mean, it is probably the best and biggest vintage motorcycle event in the country. Well, I'll tell you what. Last year I had the opportunity of going there, and I was I was ex- – I- I was impressed. I was overwhelmed, and I was impressed. I was amazed by the beauty of the of the track, the layout, the cleanliness of it, the the scenery. The, I mean, it's, I I can't say enough good stuff about it. The uh, you know your uh, the museum is unbelievable. 
And whoever thought that out did just an amazing job because you covered all aspects. I mean, it's like the history of the motorcycle from day one, not to mention the race cars. So let's talk a little bit about the race cars I mean, and tell us about the because you have a Lotus collection there. And that's uh, um, George Barber, who is the founder of Barber Motorsports. It's, that's kind of one of his passions, the Lotus automobile, right? Yeah, we're actually a 501c3 charitable foundation that George Barber set up. 20 some odd years ago i'm getting old so time flies but uh, um yes and so uh you know the museum is 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 a, is a charitable organization uh you know the motorcycles are a huge portion of that we have over 1600 motorcycles in the collection but yes we also have a significant car collection uh, a little over 100 cars 62 of which are vintage racing lotus cars we don't get too much into the street cars we have the race cars and we have the early Lotus cars, you know, were, were um, like Le Mans, the sports racers, so they were street legal. Mm-hmm. So we have a we have from the Lotus One up to the Lotus One Hundred and Nine, which was the last Formula One Lotus under the family's guidance. The family had sold a couple of years before that, but the you know, Lotus went away and then kind of came back in, in the modern times. But yeah, we have a little of everything for everybody when it comes to Lotus cars, and we have you know we have John Surtees' Formula One Ferrari. Uh, that he won the world championship in. We have one of his Envy Augustas, so we're big oh, Surtees wow. fans. We're also big Gurney fans. We have Dan Gurney's Lotus 29. You know, Dan was, was credited for getting um, uh, Lotus and Ford, you know, Ford back to Indy, but Lotus to Indy for the first time. And the 29 was the first Lotus at Indy. And, of course, Lotus was very successful at Indy for about eight years there. And so, yeah, we have a, we have a wide range of... of, of uh, Really cool cars for people to come see. Now, I saw somewhere, was, are there Ferraris and Porsches in there too? Uh, a few Ferraris. We have a Dino. Um, we have the, the Surtees, the Formula 1 the F158 1964 championship Ferrari. We mm-hmm. had an exact replica made of it in white and blue because that's the only factory Formula 1 Ferrari ever race in any colors other than red so when we built a replica so we, we could thrash a little bit uh we put it in the white and blue under the luigi canetti nart colors so we have that um we have you know we have a selection of other cars we have some a model some model t's we have an mga twin cam we have a ace of Sica. we have a little everything porsche wise we've got a few porsches mr barber owned porsches and raced them when he was a younger man and, and unfortunately sold them um, for nothing, you know, old race cars were not worth much in the late sixties, <laughs> early seventies. And I remind him of that. Now his nine Oh four and his five fifty spiders and his RSKs are now worth a ton of money, but we don't own them. <laughs> if, if we all had that little look, you know, that little mirror to look back, we, we would have changed things. Wouldn't we? And that little crystal ball, is that the one you're referring to? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, that- Okay, so tell us about your job uh, responsibilities. There, you're the uh, you're really in charge of the restoration. And when I say conservation, people think conservation is in terms of oh, trees and and shrubs and stuff like that. It's the pres- preservation of the originality. And if there's a car that's just like all original and keeping as close to its original livery and uh, and 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 so forth, right? So am, am I? Kind of yeah, I'm, in, I'm basically at the, you know, the restoration department where we do bikes and cars in-house. We have four other people with me in the restoration shops that are great technicians. Um, and we do a lot of historical work um, in, in deciding how to conserve, preserve, or restore a car or a bike. And then when we say conservation, we also mean we're conserving the collection. Okay. You know, because we want to make sure it's there for future generations. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's not, you know, the, we have a nice park that someone else takes care of the of the green space, but we, we're interested in things that make noise with smoke and, and sound <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, do you restore a lot of this? It's an ongoing thing. Do you restore cars for people outside of Barber Motorsports, or do you everything that you do is it in house? And for no, it's in house because we're because we're a nonprofit. We, okay. we can't we, we can't really do outside work. Okay. What are some of the uh, more extravagant projects that you uh, that you've done in the past? Oh gosh, well we try to buy first off we try to buy as nice as we can because you know it, it's still not an economic decision to 
to restore something. And when mm-hmm. we have our head on our shoulders and we don't, you know, just buy something and, and forget the budget when it comes to restoring it. So, but having said that, sometimes you can't buy, you know, a particular car that you want or because there's only one or two of them and then it comes along in maybe a really good state and maybe not so good a state. So uh, we, we work on a little of everything. I mean, right now we have, um, uh, we've got, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think now you put me on the, on the line here, but we just took a bunch of cars to Goodwood. So we did some work to them and some bikes, but right now we have a couple of newer car motorcycles we're restoring. Uh, we have a Lotus 10 we're restoring and a, and a, and a Lotus 11 that, that we just got mm. uh, as far as the car world. Uh, the, the, they only made like, I can't remember, either five or six tens, and we own two of them. Huh. And, uh, yeah, it was just makes it a pretty rare breed, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it, uh, uh, and, and since we have two of the Lotus tens, one of them is a Bristol, has an AC Bristol engine in it, which came in like the AC Cobras before they were Cobras. You know, they're just AC Bristols. But, right. Uh, um, so when we got the second one, it actually raced the Targo Florio oh. uh, in the day, and it had a Connaught engine in it. So uh, in in the day, so but when we bought it, it had another Bristol. So we pulled that Bristol out because we got two, and we're restoring it to the Targo Florio specs, which was a really cool, you know, the crazy Italians racing on the streets of Italy, um, going just flat out in you know everything from Ferraris to Jags to Lotuses. So that's that's a pretty cool one. It's also very challenging because they only made a few, you know, handful of them, and trying to, you know, find that snapshot in time to restore it has been a challenge. What do you do when you run into a situation where, uh, let's say, you get a project and there are no parts, you're missing some key parts? Do you guys uh, have uh, access to, like, do you do any 3D? Um, experimental developing for those particular parts based on pictures and schematics that you might have. I mean, do you, do you go to that extent, correct? Well, exactly. We have a we have a process we go through whenever we restore something. Um, you know, we, I always say when we hang up that museum shingle. Um, you know, you're held to a different standard than someone who has a nice collection and just wants to restore it the way they want. But people pay the dollar, you know, the price to get in a museum to see a museum. They want to see something that you know that should be historically correct mm-hmm. so to do that we uh like i said we try to buy as nice as we can you know as complete as we can uh but even then you're you're buying most likely someone else's restoration so um given whatever the state of the car is we we, we do a process and we look at it and uh, we decide you know which parts to keep and which parts to replace um you know so if we need to replace some parts we try to find Vintage parts. I mean, because that you know, you know, otherwise it, you know, it, it's a can be more modern than we'd like. But yeah, if, if we exhaust all resources, they can't find you know a vintage piece uh, that we can repair, or we can't find a replica piece that someone else is already making because you can't make one of something cheaper than someone else is already doing it. Uh, then we will we will do it ourselves. We have our own uh, machine shop, and I'm a machinist, and I do most machine work. Uh, we have a great relationship with Haas CNC machines, and uh, we will CNC some parts of our own. You know, having said that, you know, a 1915 Harley <laughs> doesn't it look very well with CNC parts on it, but you can make them look right. You know, so we do that, and and then we we've done we tried some other 3D prototyping. Um, you know, we have we've had a, a rapid printer in there. Uh, you know, and we, but we, we, we've used that to help make some castings, uh-huh. or some molds for castings. We've done a little of everything, but you know, we're usually only making one of something, and that's that's the challenge. You know, because all of that stuff, you know, even the early CNC stuff, by the time you programmed it, you know, you really were more geared up to making fifty or sixty of them. You could make one by hand up until recently, almost as economically as as you know doing the programming and making a billet piece. But uh, all that technology has really, really come along. So we're getting close. You know, we 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 make we make some. Uh, parts, you know, through on the on the uh, camp, CAD CAM program, but uh, still try to you know buy original if you can because we, we, we're all about the history and, and original parts speak to you. The uh, museum is how many floors? Well, it's 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 five floors. Um, you know, before we added on, and we added on three floors, so and they connect to three of the five. So. <laughs> Uh, it's it's two hundred fifty thousand square feet. Easier way to put it, you know, amongst those 
those um, five floors. So to put that in, uh, in in terms that people can understand, that's like six acres under roof. So. Yeah, the, the footprint of the old building, just the bottom floor, it was one acre. Okay. So you're right. You know, and, and it's, um, yeah, and it's just a full size. But other floors are kind of like half floors and they're staggered so you can see into them. They're beautiful. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a big space. You know, you even someone who's not all that into motorsports takes at least two hours just to quickly walk through it all. Well, you have to appreciate the layout and the architecture, because just like you said, the, it's laid out so that you can see everything from almost every vantage point. And, and then the tower in the middle with all the bikes on it. I mean, that was incredible. Oh, Mr. Barber's intent was, and he was the one that probably spent more time with the architects describing exactly what he wanted. His intent was sensory overload when you first walked in the door. There was so much you could see. If the floors were sealed off, you could only see one floor at a time. Right. So you're right. You walk into that center section where the tower is, and it's three stories high, you know, three and a half stories high. Uh, you get to see a little bit of all the floors, and, and he, he just wants you to go, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I, <laughs> so now, when I was there last year, your facility where you work and the restoration shop is actually downstairs, kind of let's just call it the ground floor, below ground floor. And then you had a, a research library there, and we talked to Lee. Uh, the lady, or is it Whirly? Whaley. Whaley, okay. And then off just down the hallway from where she was, there was a big open area, and they were ta- she was telling me that they were going to expand to that. You guys and her were both going to expand to that. Did you guys do that this year? Yeah, that's part of the addition we were talking about. That's okay. the basement of it. Uh, we're still trying to decide how best to utilize that space. I mean, we, we tend to build something and then kind of grow into it, you know, like the, you know, the goldfish in the fishbowl. Yep, oh, yeah. Um, and right now, that's still a a, a, a basement storage area. Um, you know, coming up, good example during the vintage festival. Uh, you know, we're having a Bonhams auction, and uh, which is really a Bonhams is a huge auction house, and they're going to use that bottom floor, the basement, as call it, as, as a place to stage a lot of of the inventory that they run through the museum. So we're very lucky to have that that availability. But in the future, it'll probably get more purpose to you know to a permanent display but yeah i'd like to move in there to all the restoration department so we could close the doors and not get distracted by the you know the young girls walking through (laughs) i have some young guys you know and they they, they love the traffic but i'd love to focus entirely on the restoration well yeah i mean what people realize is you're down there and it's like an open area it's almost like you can sit there and watch you guys do the actual job and work on because you got those little lifts in there you got everything you need you got tools machines all kinds of stuff so it's pretty impressive yeah, we have some rooms down there. We have private events, you know, that uh, people can, you know, you know, come down and and uh, and and uh, see some of that. We the, the basement is open uh, a certain number of weekends a year right now, uh, and then there, and then most Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays you can upgrade to a basement tour. But because the shops are down there with all kinds of you know health issues, we can't just have the general public wandering through on their own. So right. uh, they can see a lot of it, but uh, they don't, can't access it typically early in the week but on the weekends and the big race weekends like you know this weekend for Moto america the basement will be open to the general public um, in two weeks after that in the first weekend of october during our vintage festival the basement will be open to the public and then during our indy car race it's open but otherwise you, you get you get a special upgraded tour and you get also for that same tour you get to see the the what we call the vault or the the, the back areas where you know, the public doesn't normally go at all um, and you can see where we store stuff that's not on display yet. Oh, okay. Now yeah, tell me, kind of like our, our garage. Your garage, the garage. What else do you have in the garage, right? Well, now tell me about the the Bonhams. Have you? Is this a, a first time deal, or has Bonhams had an auction there before? No, no. We've had some other motorcycle auctions in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, we they 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 were they were good events, but Bonhams, you know, I mean, they they do art, they do wine, they do stuff. They, they've got three or four auctions somewhere in the world every weekend. And their motorsports division, you know, uh, does stuff out at Monterey. Mm-hmm. They do stuff at Goodwood. They do stuff at Monaco. Um, you know, they, they are the, and you know, they're one of the two or three, you know, world motorsports auction houses. You know, RM is in there, Goodings. Um, but Bonham's up, you know, they're, they've been friends of ours for a while because um, they're, they're, they're English primarily and, and they tend to have two more Lotus cars and, other English bikes, and so we've, um, you know, known Malcolm Barber, who's the, I don't know exact title, he's one of the 
major guys there, and we've known them for years, and they've been watching our vintage festival. You know, and sometimes you got to get to a certain, you know, a level for you. You make it on people's radar screens, and, and uh, we've made that that hurdle. And so this is their first year here, and and, and it, it'll you know it, it'll be a worldwide event. It's on the internet. It's on um, you know phones. Um, I mean, there'll be people bidding on those bikes from all over. They've got 165 bikes already. Um, 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 not entered, but signed up, and they'll, they'll have some more. So it'll be, and it's on Saturday uh, of the event, which is the sixth, um, I believe, uh, uh, the, the Saturday. But it's open to the public on the Friday of any special preview. So it's it's going to be a big deal. And it's in our new building, uh, in the grand atrium, as they call it. it. You know, it's about 300 feet long and uh, three stories high, and the general public will be able to get around the other floors and look down on it. Um, which would be pretty cool perspective. And then, of course, people that have a catalog or, or interest in the auction can you know, sit downstairs closer and actually bid on it. But it'll be it'll be available for people, anybody that comes to the museum to spectate from the balcony areas, basically, which would be pretty cool. So that's going to be in two weeks. So this for the Vintage Festival, M- Bonham's going to be – this is the first I've heard of it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that, you know, the festival starts on October 5th right. through the 7th. Okay. The 5th being a Friday, and their auction is – Saturday. Yeah, it starts about, I think, I'm looking at the calendar and I don't have my glasses on, but I, I think it starts around 2 o'clock and uh, goes through the early evening. So okay. it, it, it'll be pretty, they've got, a, they've got a, some, some pretty expensive motorcycles uh, lined up. You can go on their, on their website and see they've already got the catalog, I think. Not totally done because they, they're still accepting entries, but uh, some very interesting motorcycles. Interesting. Um, a friend of mine works for them. His name is Jared Zaug. And uh, he used to just be in the PR department. And now I notice in the last uh, year or so, he's been doing the um, color commentating for them, which is what I used to do for Hollywood Wheels. And he is a huge motorcycle guy. He actually, him and his wife, did the first one out west before, I think it was in San Francisco, one of the events out there. They did it, I think it did it for like two or three years, 2007, eight or nine or something like that, before Pebble Beach started doing motorcycles on their, on their, on the lawn. And uh, so I don't know if, uh, I I saw Jared, but we didn't even talk about it. I didn't even know about it, but I'm going to definitely mention it to him, but I'll tell him to come by and see you because he's a very fascinating guy. Eats, sleeps, and drinks motorcycles, and he's, he's kind of like a motorcycle historian. So you'd find him very interesting. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Pebble. We we were the, we won the very first uh, Pebble Beach uh, motorcycle concours. You know, during the the, the big one, you know, they had to make cars, obviously, but they and I think they stopped the bikes now. But we the, we won the first and the third year of it. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're very familiar with the Pebble Beach as far as the motorcycle side. Of it. I, you know, I'm a car guy too. We've been to Pebble quite a few times, but. Uh, yeah, the Bonhams folks—they they have you know obviously they, they're out there at Quail Lodge. Mm-hmm. They have a very really cool setup there during that weekend. You know, Monterey Storks is a that whole weekend is, is fabulous, and I think it's one of the best vintage car events in the country. Um, you know, because it's countywide, mm-hmm. five auctions and all that. But uh, the Bonhams folks have a really cool selection there too, and they they have cars and bikes. You know, they may have cars. They have bikes only events and car only events too. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a neat, neat thing. It should be good for us. Okay. Well, we've got a minute or two left. Uh, Lee, tell us about uh, your private collection. I think you're into British cars, too. Didn't you, didn't, you, didn't you have an MGE or something like that? I don't remember. We talked about well, this. My, my first car was an MGB. Okay. My wife's car when we were dating was MGB. Okay. And she had a nicer one than I did. <laughs> my, mine tended to need work. Hers didn't. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh. It's a guy and, thing. Um, yeah. Well, her parents bought her. Well, I, I got. I need. I had one that you know. It was a little older, but uh, it got her parents looking at it because I married the girl next door, so she knew what I had. And um, but yeah, I've had that. Uh, I sold it. I was originally a banker out of college, um, but I sold that. I was a banker, and I bought it. My first Alpha. Okay. Um, a GTV, and I, I I have another GTV and a boat tail. Uh, they have a lot of potential. Uh, that means they're not finished yet because uh, <laughs> I've had kids in college uh, uh, that kind of seem to, you know, when you have the money, you don't have the time. When you have the time, you don't have the money. Yep. I think I finally got a little of both. So I worked on those. I've got a, my, 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 my everyday car for the past couple of years has been, has been a 96 Carrera. 
which I really enjoy because he has fast, fast cars you can drive the stink out of, and you know, and they're 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 very, very dependable cars. The Porsche. I mean, I I think I've got 130,000 miles on it. I just did a little bit of work on the motor. I've got a, a 72 Targa. I've got a 944 S2 that I bought from a friend, from my boys to drive to high school, uh, which they were one of the few kids, and they're they're you know they're my youngest is 27 and my oldest is 31. When they were young, they were one of the two kids in the whole high school that could drive a stick. Oh. So that's been one of my things. You know, kids should learn how to drive a stick uh, because they you know, they drive their mom and dad's SUV. They don't get the old Volkswagens like we got when we were young. So um, <laughs> that's exactly that's, it. That's my cause now is to get kids to drive a stick. <laughs> Very good. All right, Lee, real quick. Give out the uh, social media real quick on Barber Motorsports, phone number, how people find out about it. Uh, of course, www.barbermotorsports.com will take you to all our events. Um, the, the, uh, 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 the phone numbers, of course, are um, uh, on the website. You can check it out because we got so many of them. Uh, we have a web page. We have Facebook. We have all that. Just, 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 just do a search on Barber Museum, and it'll show up, and uh, you'll see everything we do. It's pretty cool. We've got some great newsletters. We sell memberships which is a great way to get involved with us with a newsletter. Uh, there's, there's a ton of things. You know, I wish I had more time to tell you about it, but just go online and, and you know, all these people can figure it out better than I can tell you in a, in a minute. <laughs> okay. Hey, Lee, thanks for coming on the show. Take care. Hopefully I see you in a couple of weeks. I want to thank my special guest, Lee Clark from Barber Motorsports Museum in Birmingham, Alabama. In the meantime, hey, I want to tell my listeners, don't forget, every Tuesday night here on the Town Talk Radio Network. There's a fella in there will pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.